Internet, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, hello from the world headquarters, the Vox World Headquarters, Brea, California. Um, I'm looking at a guy named Andy today who is transitioning from winter hipster clothing and scarves and flannel to um, now it's kind of South County beachcomber. Um, he's got uh, he's got a tank top on, so his guns are out. Sun's out, guns out. Sun's out, buns out. Yeah, well, <laughs> thankfully that's not true. And uh, so it's, he's quite intimidating today. He's, he's got uh, he's a he's a Filipino gentleman, and so he's got some got some blood in there. That kind of he's 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 a large individual. Yeah, I run hot. Yes, you do, and uh, and 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 not just in, in the temperature sense. No, no. So um, so we're recording this on uh a thursday it will be released on monday maybe maybe sunday maybe sunday night okay maybe yeah um and uh it's kind of been a a really horrific week so whenever you you end up listening to this um in in, you know let's say it's 2018 and um or, or whatever this this is being recorded the thursday after uh a really kind of brutal week and uh, and that's going to shape kind of the direction we're going to take um, for the podcast today. Um, so on Saturday we um, we we've we've started a little Vox community in uh, in North Orange County, California, and uh, to help us do that, there's been this amazing team of eighty other people that have you know given time and energy and expertise and money and just a plain old hard work uh to kind of pull this thing off and so saturday um we get an email from from somebody uh, on our on our team that says their daughter had just uh had just been killed and um and so for for me and and killed in a very sort of disturbing way and, and so so for me i was already in a kind of um dark or at least contemplative, you know, sorrowful place when then we woke up the next morning to the realization that overnight, a hundred people, over a hundred people have been shot, half of them killed in a gay club in Orlando, as everyone, you know, now is very well known. And then, and then just kind of as the week went, um, and and this was coming on the heels of, of a singer that was shot. Right. um, Who, she was on The Voice, is that right? Yeah, Christina Gimme. Yes. Uh, and then in Orlando, you have this toddler attacked by an alligator, which is horrific. And then the story of the parents trying to go in after that. I mean, I can't. And and that's just like in Orlando one weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's that's insane. And then oh, you realize over the course of the same several days, there were 147 people killed in uh, northeastern Kenya as um, militants. And I have no idea what kind of militants they were. Open fire in a university. Uh, a teenage girl was killed. She was 16, and three others were shot in violence in Oakland as a dice game got out of hand. Uh, in Chicago, uh, 42 people were shot. Seven of those were killed in violence, gun violence over the weekend. And then literally, as I was preparing this morning, um, a 41-year-old British lawmaker was shot and is in critical condition. And so, so you kind of just go, wow. It doesn't seem like it's getting better, <laughs> and, and I'm sure that's some of the ubiquity of social media kind of amplifies, right? You know, our awareness of all of the tragedy and the suffering, and I'm, I'm sure many of these things have been going on forever. We just never knew. Um, 
but but there was a sense, uh, at least in the Vox World headquarters, that this was kind of a bummer uh, of a week. And so what we wanted to do, and and then and then not it's not just the the events themselves that are the bummer, but it's all of then the responses to those events and then the responses to the responses and then the responses to the responses to the responses that just, it's this like vortex. And so, um, you know, as I've been, as I've been, you know, barely trying to pay attention, um, I've, here's what I've learned, uh, particularly about the Orlando shootings. Um, first of all, Muslims are to blame and we should build a wall. So I learned that on social media this week. Uh, secondly, it's radical Muslims are to blame, but unless you call them that, you don't take them seriously. I learned that the NRA, the Second Amendment, and that anyone who's gun-loving is to blame. Uh, I've also learned that um, if you don't respond appropriately to every tragedy, then you really don't care. Yeah. Um, I've learned that the Christian community, in their hateful rhetoric, was um, responsible for the tragedy. Uh, because we've created a community where the, an atmosphere where you know these sorts of things take place. Um, I, I've I've learned that there is this kind of weird, and maybe it's a judgment on my part. This weird kind of we try to out grieve each other <laughs> and out out outcry each other, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and then I've learned the real heroes of the whole thing are Chick Fil A, because they <laughs> opened and, and they gave sandwiches. So so that's what I've learned. I've, that's what I've learned on social media this week, and I uh, want to thank social media for the great clarity it has brought to the conversation. <laughs> that even though uh, this was somebody who um, self-professed uh, allegiance to ISIS or ISIL, whatever you want to call them, um, clearly targeting uh, gay people, clearly um, uh, was was taking part of this month-long kind of very extreme view of violence and the, the call to violence during Ramadan. Right. Um, it, it, the, the conversation never just goes and stays there. It's just always, mm-hmm. it always navigates into the bigger right. cultural and, waters. And there's just, and there's deeper layers on that. Cause then there was people who witnessed him attending that, that place the, for, yes. for like three years or three right. years or three months. I don't, so I'm he, sorry. Was he but, repressed and was right. it, the, was it the teaching and if had he been embraced, would he have done this? And I mean, it, it's, and we don't know because everything gets hijacked yeah. and spun towards pro-gun, anti-gun. You know, uh, if we would have had guns there, it wouldn't have been horrible. We Are you kidding me? We need tighter gun laws. Um, you know, Trump Trump will protect, protect us because that's what he does. Um, you know, Trump is just the worst person in the history of the world, and and same with Hillary, right? I mean, the, I mean, it, it's just a rabbit hole that goes to insane lengths of 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 crazy. And so it wasn't just that that all of this was brought to kind of our attention, um, but it was then the sucking vortex of opinion and polarization and division. And whoa, I just got an email, Andy. So there you go. I got. I should probably turn that notification off. There we go. Um, Making professional decisions. Now. Oh yes, I'm. I'm amazing. So, <laughs> so, um, so what we wanted to talk about was um, the need for public lament by Jesus followers in situations, particularly that are as public and visceral as uh, what happened in Orlando. And and what I mean. Like, like we can't lament everything. Like every time there's a shooting, 
uh, unfortunately, there's so many that, that that if you're lamenting everything, then that's all you're doing ever. Um, but when when you have these times of very national, you know, whether it's San Bernardino, whether it's Sandy Hook Elementary, whether it's um, uh, Charleston and the individual that walked in to the church, or or now, I mean, there are these sort of national moments when um, we're we're kind of terrorized into. Oh my goodness, this is a big deal. And, and it's at those moments, I think, that uh, Jesus followers have the opportunity to publicly lament things. And so so I've got, these are just kind of random thoughts, Andy. Want to throw them by you, see what you think. Um, so so the first set of thoughts just has to do with uh, with grief itself. And, and the fact that um, one of the cardinal rules of grieving is that there are no cardinal rules of grieving, that you're, you're feeling however you're feeling. And, um, you know, so you, you have the various layers of, and we're just going to focus on Orlando, um, but have all these other incidences in view too, but, but Orlando is really the focus. So you have, you have the immediate, the injuries and the deaths. And then you have the immediate friends and family of those people. And then you have the larger gay community. And then you have the city of Orlando that's just feeling like crazy. And then you have the, the LGBTQ community, uh, wherever it's found, now, you know, now okay. wondering kind of um, are there safe places, you know, for us. And, and then the larger conversation of, well, this, this Islamic terrorist thing doesn't seem to be going away. And, um, and so the domestic incidences, you know, are, I mean, how many more of these can we anticipate and what's it mean? And, and so they're, they're underlying all of this has to be a conversation about what it means to grieve and what it means to grieve honestly. And, and, um, and the recognition that in the biblical tradition, there is, um, a, a deep vein of something called lament and lament isn't only, um, expressing grief, but it's it's naming what is wrong. It is naming injustice. It is naming kind of the as as our culture will very quickly move on from this into something new to be outraged about, something new to be terrified by. Um, their their lament is is the way that we pierce kind of the culture of the denial, the pretending, or the clicheing we do. In grief, and um, in the scriptures, you have an entire book called Lamentations. You have prophetic laments like Habakkuk, which is obviously a very famous book everyone knows. You have um, you have a whole bunch of the Psalms that are categorized as the Psalms of lament. You have much permission given to direct it at God in the covenantal framework we talk so much about to to call God's attention to these incidences and ask where is he and what's he doing and why isn't he doing more and um, I find that the Bible is very um, uh, often uh, more honest than than its readers in that regard mm. you know we're we're very quick to um, slap a, a slogan on it or to try to remove the mystery of it and um, and so when it comes to grieving, um, you know, some of the most powerful words are, I don't know. I, I don't know why this happened. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Could a God, could God have stopped it? Yep. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why, um, in, in some instances we've gotten to this point 
where this is a common thing um, in terms of gun violence and mass shootings and and uh, and so so when we talk about grieving, there ha- the the number one word is just permission, and and uh, particularly for those that are immediately impacted, whether they lash out in anger, whether they lash out in uh, in uh, in grief. Um, whether their expressions are, we think are appropriate or not, that's, that's irrelevant because part of, part of what we've done in America to grieving has been to just sit in nice rows in funerals and be told nice cliches by some religious person and then go put some dirt on a casket. And when you look at um, ancient Near Eastern funeral rites or even today in the Middle East, um, they're deep, visceral, sort of very public demonstrations of grief that aren't given a lot of permission yeah. in uh, in uh, in least white American culture. And so, so <clears throat> anytime we're looking at people responding, particularly those who are directly affected by it, uh, the temptation is to just get in there and, and, well, you shouldn't be feeling this, you shouldn't be feeling this, or to put a cliche on it or whatever. And the deep lament tradition is, no, 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 no. No, we we refrain in those initial sort of outbursts, um, and we give permission for people to begin to process. You know, because um, even though I don't agree that uh, Christians are responsible, I think some are. Uh, I think some have have been very very hateful, but to broaden it to the whole thing, or to broaden it to the fact that there are some who disagree. Um, with uh, with the gay community, I, I just think that's super dangerous. But but so okay, I but I can also see where uh, somebody who's deeply affected by this, out of anger and rage and outrage, wants to strike out against anybody who's made them feel afraid, right. anyone who's made them feel intimidated. And so so I you know, what do you do with that? Do you get defensive on behalf of the Jesus people, or do you just say, uh, I'm so sorry? Um, that it's feeling like this, you know, or that, that this is what's happening or whatever. So, so number one rule in grieving is just permission. We just, you know, we let people feel whatever they're feeling. Make sense? Yeah. And that is such a deep, that's such a deep thing. And, and the biblical tradition is so amazing on this. In fact, one of the Jewish practices that's hinted at in the Bible um, is something called sitting Shiva. Again, okay, you have to be careful how that is said, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you if you slur that, you're you're in trouble. Um, but but it, it is the and it's even practiced today. When we were in Israel last year, we were talking to um, some families who had have practiced this. Now it's different now, of course, than it is back in the day. But when when um, when someone died, um, what what you would do as a friend or a family member is that you would go to the house of the bereaved and you would along with various parts of the community you would sit um in the house with that family for seven days that's the the shiva is the seven and or shiva i think it's it's better pronounced and and what you would do there is that you would take care of the family um you would so so you would cook you would clean um you would, the family was never allowed to be alone. Uh, they always had to be surrounded by the community. And the community didn't feel pressure to talk unless the family wanted to talk. So sometimes you would just sit in silence and you wouldn't talk at all. Sometimes you would tell stories or you would laugh or whatever, but it went on for seven days. And then 
depending on the relationship you have with the family, you know, family member, is it a, is it a son or daughter, a parent, a, a mother, uh, a brother, sister, um, just a friend, a coworker, you would engage in public and outward displays of grieving. And uh, depending on the relationship, it was 30 days or a year, you would refrain from going to parties, you wouldn't go to birthday parties, you wouldn't go to concerts. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking in modern modern okay, senses sure. now. But, um, but it was a fascinating glimpse into the idea that present, being present is, is what's matter. You're not correcting anybody. You're not telling them what they should be feeling. You're just, you're just playing however they want to. So if they want silence, you sit in silence. If they want to talk, you talk. If they want to laugh, you laugh. If they want to cry, you cry. And, and perhaps that's what sits sits behind some of the biblical injunctions to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. And so it is possible now on social media to sit Shiva with the gay community, to just to be present, to acknowledge their grief, to say, we see you, we hear you, um, without having to, to fix it or to clean it up or to whatever. So when it comes to grieving, the big word is permission. Um, and, uh, but, but it's so funny, man, as I, as I, as I watch the grief, then, then the fear impulse kind of rises up, right? We've talked about the evangelical fear complex. Mm -hmm. So now what begins to happen is the play on fear. So, so now is the blaming and it's the, it's the Christians were responsible. And so the Christians strike back by saying, Oh my goodness! Now our free speech and da 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 and the the Muslims are responsible. So now the Muslim community has to rise up and say they don't speak for us. Um, it, it's uh, it's the NRA that's responsible. It's gun laws and and the, and the whole thing begins to take on the tenor of blaming and intimidating and fear. And and what begins to happen is uh, people begin to play the terrorist card and the 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 radical Islamist terrorist card. And and then our politicians begin to play on this, and the whole fe- the, the the fear the fear impulse just rises to the top of all the conversation, and no one no one's saying it's fear, but it's but that's where it's located. It's the protection of my rights and liberties, you know, regardless of of what those rights and liberties do to other people. It's my it's the protection of my way of life. It's the it's the end of the long road to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? right. It's, it's like, but, but it even gets a hold of the Christian community. And, uh, and so now, instead of grieving, now we're defending or we're attacking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and all of that's done out of fear. And uh, most of it's done out of fear. And because, uh, to me, I mean, the connection between fear and anger is so... It's so close. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, I get angry when my will is thwarted. So when my self interest is thwarted, but I also get angry when I'm afraid. And when a, when an entire people group get afraid, anger is where they run. And so you know, build walls, ban guns. Um, this whole conversation gets cloaked in the polarizations and the divisions. But at the root of them seems to be this incredible fear. How do we handle this? How do we, what can we do about this? We can't let this happen. And then, and then you have just the ridiculous politis, politicization, politis, mm. the politics, the lollapaloozening, the politicization <laughs> of this. <laughs> and, 
and, political and, hijacking. Yes, the political hijacking. And so, to to think, and and this is where uh, our idolatry shows, like we talked about last time, because if we we, we think, and, and and Jesus followers should know better. If we just have a different president, if we just have different gun laws, either more permissive or more restrictive, either way, um, if, if we if we just take a harder stand against um, Muslim, um, you know, either Muslim immigrants or the radical, you know, insurgents or whatever you want to call the the the, you know, the distinction. Um, we just think that if there, there's a way to program, we need to be more educated about this. We need better governmental programs. We need to throw some money. We need to build a wall. We need to, you know, da, 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 da. And as Jesus people, we, we're the ones that are supposed to be free from fear, right? We're the ones who follow a guy who conquered death and who looks at his followers and say, Hey, just so we're clear, don't be afraid of anybody who can harm your body. What, what, what are you talking about, right? Be afraid of the one God whom uh, has the power of life and death and, and can, uh, in Jesus' words, send your soul to hell. Now, that's, <laughs> there's something very specific he's meaning there in context that we do not have time to get to. But Jesus' point, the larger point, and the point he makes all over the place is that followers of Jesus should be the most secure people in the world because they're the ones who are supposed to be free from the need for safety, comfort, convenience, and middle-class security. And yet what begins to happen is we don't act like we're the most um, courageous, secure people in the world. And so we begin to insist on rights, protections, entitlements, whatever. I mean, it, you know, it's just so funny that the right to bear arms is trumpeted around as if it were a biblical um, biblical command or something, right. you know what I mean? Which it's not. Just to be, just to be clear. <laughs> just to be clear. And and uh, and so it's just an interesting sort of dynamic, where if if the Christian community were really free from fear, we would be such a different presence in the world because so much of the dialogue and so much of the animosity is rooted around fear, and so and so one of the things that's very very challenging to me is what happens when you're not afraid and and you are deeply serious about yielding your entitlements and self-interest for the betterment of other people and as they define betterment not as you define betterment what what you know the 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 whole thing about um Jesus yielding his privileges as deity um, for the sake of his incarnation, his enfleshment into humanness, and and that our attitude should be similar towards each other. There's this there's this sense in which um, our voice is so shrill or so angry or so defensive because we still believe there's something here that can fix it. That we still believe if just X, Y, or Z happened, we'd be more secure. And, and as Jesus people, we just say, nope, security is an illusion. We're one phone call, one cancer cell, one, you know, somebody else doesn't stop at a red light. Um, one moment away from that sense of security being unbelievably shattered. One moment away. And there's no legislation that's going to fix that, right? And yet, the Jesus, the Jesus people that I am a part of and I am <laughs> internally, we're just as afraid as everybody 
else. And so it really, it really doesn't make sense. If you're going to follow a resurrected Messiah of whom it is said death could not keep its hold on him and that, that you believe that there's a resurrection coming and that there's a life after this one and that this one's temporary and it's achieving for us an eternal glory that will outweigh it all. If you take any of that seriously, we would be a far different presence in the world and in these conversations, correct? Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. There's two, yes. there's two paradigms oh, that oh. I'm processing in my mindset about all this stuff because I think what I hear you talking about is... I think there's a very, well, if we look at the, you know, for lack of a better term, okay, so the far conservative right on all of this, the fear that's all there to me seems like it's a giant fear to lose their authority and control of the middle class and upper class lifestyle that they've built that is perceived as the American life. To me, it feels like that loss of security that they're from. Now, with Jesus speaking, addressing that fear, but then on the other hand, oppressed people that come from the lower class into lower middle class that are under completely different circumstances, what they fear looks a lot different than yep. what the authority fears. That's right. So it's like that's there's an interesting middle ground for how that addresses both issues because someone in oppression might look at that situation and how they get what they wipe away as fear to then live above that fear, to look beyond that fear. I mean, that right. posture looks seems a lot different to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I totally agree with that. And, um, and as, and maybe the LGBTQ community is probably looks at that look is seeing it from that camp, you know, know, obviously versus, you know, this, this authoritative camp. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. See what I heard uh, somebody years ago and it made so much sense to me. Um, and, and again, I mean, I'm always chief of sinners in this stuff. But this person was saying, listen, the reason, the reason Christians aren't trust, trusted with power is because the, the people that aren't Christians don't believe that, that they would be safe with Christians in power. Mm. And, um, and I thought, ooh, that, that safe word is an interesting, that's an interesting word, yeah. you know, because... Um, the when in church history when when the church has had political power you know i mean it's done horrific sorts of things and so so i, I think you're absolutely right there is the the definition of safety and comfort and security is so vastly different depending on where you're coming from yeah but but i see as jesus people regardless the invitation is to step out of that fear as a defining thing and step into you know, we're, we're following a supposed Messiah who is alive and well, who promises that good wins, who, who says that um, these sorts of trials and tribulations are momentary um, and that we should not be afraid. We should be like the birds um, and the flowers of the field who simply have no thought of what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you're just going, man, how free would we be if we actually believed that thing. So so again the the fear complex rears its ugly head after the grief then then quickly becomes the fear thing. Now once once we give permission and once we begin to to deal with the fact that we're supposed to be the most secure people in the world then we can uh, properly uh, begin to publicly lament. And, and I just want to talk real quickly 
about why that's necessary from a Christian point of view. Um, and, and, and this is stuff I've heard and I've collected, you know, so I'm sure I'm stealing from elsewhere. I just have no idea where from. Um, but, uh, to remind us, uh, a lament, a lament is a God direct, at least in the biblical tradition, like, uh, like you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to lament. I mean, that's just a human thing, but a lament is a, a bit different than, a, than grieving, Lament includes grieving, but it's a bit bigger. It's God. It's kind of Godward grieving. It's out loud grieving. It's public grieving. It's people need to know that my world has changed sort of grieving. It's the grieving that's prophetic in the sense that it's not polite and it's not polished and it names what's wrong and what's, um, what, is, what is out of line and out of joint in uh, in God's world it's 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 from the Christian tradition it's coming from within the covenantal framework that of of saying God I believe you're there my trust is in you uh, I believe that you're good and and I'm wondering um what happened <laughs> where are you um wh- why aren't you doing anything about this I don't understand and um and so there is this this deep kind of exposing of anything that gets in the way of flourishing. And, uh, and, and so very often in the Christian tradition, lament is, is uncomfortable um, because it's not polite. It's not focused on the cliches. It's very um, hyperbolic. It's very dramatic. It's very poetic. It's not the language of engineers and scientists. It's a language of, of tortured poets and songwriters. So, um, so I want to just suggest when, when something like Orlando happens, there is an absolute necessity for Jesus followers to sit Shiva with the affected community. And, and the reason, there are a bunch of reasons why I think this is necessary, not just optional, but necessary. One, um, none of us we, we are a culture that doesn't know how to grieve well. We, we remove death. You know, we glorify it in terms of our entertainment, but the, its reality is pushed far away from us. So we, we fight against the, the slow decay of our bodies. We, we fight against the, um, the presence of, of seniors in our homes and in our families. We have kind of places for them in our culture. And um, we defined, you know, we've, we've so worship at the altar of youthfulness um, that uh, as you get older, you feel more and more discarded and unwanted. I mean, there's this whole sort of we keep death at bay sort of thing. And so, so part of why we need to publicly lament is, is we don't know how. And even more now, I mean, I remember I contrast the, the dialogue now after uh now like in 2016 versus what it was like after 9/11 and what the country felt like right i mean incredibly galvanized we had snl doing cold op- cold openings we had talk show um uh hosts doing these incredibly moving tributes to to new york we had the national cathedral in washington dc on live tv you know as in national kind of prayer services we had candlelight vigils um, we had rock stars and, and of course you had nut jobs, you know, you had the, the Christian nut jobs that were blaming this on, you know, whatever. And you had others, but that wasn't the predominant tone was one of unity mm-hmm. and coming together. Right. And, and that's just such a far cry from what the predominant tone has been 
uh, over the last week. Mm. And, and so part of why Jesus people need to publicly lament is um, to remind us that grief is a uniting thing, not a dividing thing, right? Another reason, um, uh, another reason I think why we need to publicly lament is that, is that and I, I'm stealing this from somebody, I don't remember who, but, but they were saying that, that grief needs to be witnessed and acknowledged. And they told a story, either read it or heard it, they told a story about a village in, I believe it was Australia, where the grieving practice was that if someone died, um, the, the, between the, the day of their death and the next day, the entire village would, would do some sort of very public change, you know, rearranging furniture, um, cutting off your hair. Um, you would do something so that every part of the village, there was some new aspect to it. You know, even if you just moved something from here to here. And the reason you did that was to acknowledge to the grieving person that the world was different now. You witnessed to the fact that their world was different now. Yeah. And and I I, I heard that and I just my I just had tears because I'm like that's that's it that's why we do this for you know the gay community this is a watershed moment and to to join in their lament and their grief to see it to witness it to acknowledge that yes indeed the world is different now that is a super uh, super that is an incredibly important thing for the Christian community to do in solidarity um, with those who are directly affected by this, right? I mean, it's just such a, to, to, to acknowledge, we see you, we see you. Yeah. I think one reason why we need to publicly lament together is to give a counterpoint to all the jerks and the a-holes that are out there who, you know, I mean, I, I saw two, and, and these guys just do this for attention. I mean, it's, there's, we shouldn't even pay attention to them, but two pastors, and I use the term in quotes, you know, thanking God for 50 less pedophiles in the world. And I really, you know, I, I join with all of America wanting to punch him. But there has to be a counterpoint because those voices will always get the most attention. Right. So to, to have an outcry on behalf of the Christian community um, that provides a counterpoint to that, I think is, is it's super important. <laughs> what is up with me and super today? Um, <laughs> And then there are two other things. Part of the Christian story is that um, legislation isn't going to solve the core problem. That human brokenness cannot be legislated against, cannot be... Yes, we can be protected from some of its symptoms and, um, and, and certainly the role of good government in the world is to hinder evil and to punish wrongdoing. And so there are policies that are more effective at that than others, no question, and we should be politically active and engaged but there's another sense in which the best policies aren't going to contain the brokenness of the human heart and the war-tornness of our creation. And um, part of what the public lament names is the fact that, yeah, we can have more restrictive gun laws and this will still happen. And we can have more permissive gun laws and this will still happen. We have Donald Trump as a president and this will still happen. And Hillary Clinton is a president and this will still happen. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not fatalistic in the sense of, hey, there aren't things we can do. Absolutely, there are things we can do and should do. Yeah, um, I'm all for saner gun control laws. I'm all for that. 
Um, I'm not saying this is a fatalistic thing, but I am saying that the diagnosis of Jesus about where evil comes from is the human heart. And, um, and, and that, that there is a sense that people of Jesus need to uh, lament in a way that reminds us of what the solution is um, and who the real enemy is. Because the real enemy, according to the, the biblical story, isn't uh, other human beings. It's not um, Muslims. It's not Democrats. It's not NRA. It's not uh, the, the gay community. It's not the Christian community. It's not the nut jobs, you know, thanking God for this. None of those people are the enemy. Um, Paul says it so clearly. And again, if you don't buy the biblical story, this sounds like nonsense. I get it. But if, if you're operating from within the biblical story, Paul is so clear, a battle, he says, is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. That part of the biblical story and following the teachings of Jesus is that he saw this as a war-torn creation where other wills are done besides God's will. And that there are rebellious uh, people and rebellious beings in the world that cause great harm. And uh, I know it sounds like, uh, I know it sounds crazy, we can talk about why someone would seemingly believe that another time. But for those of us that are Jesus people, Paul simply saying, if it has flesh and blood, we fight for it. We don't fight against it. And again, I, I get that there are times for self-defense and I get that there are gun laws. And I mean, fine, I get all of that. My, my point is simply what, what Christian lament does is tell the Christian story. Because one of the reasons why I follow this Jesus is that the, the, the Christian story makes the most sense of the world, as I have experienced it. That God intended it for great good, but it has been tainted by darkness and evil. And that God has not stayed far away, but is put forward in and through Jesus of Nazareth. What it looks like when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that he launched the cosmic rescue operation through Jesus. And now those who... Um, our adherents of his get to participate in tiny ways in the renewal of all things. And so that story to me makes sense of the world. Um, and as part of my participation in that story, it's the reminder that there, there are things at, at work in the world that are to give us great hope for it. Um, and, and that lament has to acknowledge that Paul talks about um, grieving, but not as those who have no hope. And so, so even our laments, even in our angriest, most honest moments, um, even if we don't, we don't have to pretend hope, but uh, there is the sense that it, we should at least witness to the fact that the announcement of hope is true. Um, even if we're not feeling it, even, and I'm not saying pretend to it, but I'm just saying part of what lament, part of why lament is needed is the reminder that grief Grief is pointing to something that we only grieve when we realize this is not how it should be. And so our grief, if we follow our grief and we protest against the evil, that takes us to a spiritual place. It doesn't take us to just a legislative place. Right. It doesn't take us just to a, a military place. It takes us, if we follow it, to a spiritual place. Now, some at that spiritual place turn to Buddha, some turn to atheism, some turn to agnosticism, some turn to Jesus, how, whatever it is, but it's an intensely spiritual thing. And so Christian Lament points that out, um, that we're all protesting against something we all know is wrong, right? This isn't, this isn't my subjective morality. We all know it's wrong yeah. to walk into a nightclub, shoot 100 people because 
they were they were uh, part of a gay. Uh, they were they were they were they happened to be in a gay bar. Right. We we all know. So so the, the Christian lament just says, hey, that that's an important thing that we're doing right there. That leads somewhere if you take it. And I'm not saying, hey, guys, just follow Jesus and all the evil goes away. Yeah. Even remotely. Part of following, Jesus himself said, listen, um, the, think of the world as a field where there are really good crops growing and weeds growing, both. And, um, and at some point, there is a refining that will come where the evil will be purged out of the world and there'll be no more rape and no more racism and no more, no, no more um, division and no more violence. But until then you have good and evil coexisting together. And, and so we're not surprised by it and we're not naive to think, well, if people just read their Bible more, if we put prayer back in schools or, or, we had, or put more laws up, I right? Mean, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But there is this undeniably spiritual component of this whole conversation that has to be acknowledged. And part of why we lament is to acknowledge that. And then the the last reason, and I'm sure there are others, and I don't even know if these are very good, but they were they were ringing true in me, is that we have language for this. We don't have to make stuff up. We don't have to do thoughts and prayers, um, you know, go out to, and that's fine. Um, but but you know, the Bible is. Full full of deep, rich, significant language for crying out in these moments. And, um, and so for me, um, part of, part of Israel, part of Israelite worship back in the day was public lament and, uh, using their liturgies for lament. And so we've got, we've got a bunch, <laughs> we've got more material, unfortunately, than we know what to do with. So just a couple of thoughts and we'll wrap up. How long are we going, Andy? It's 40. Oh, okay. Man, that goes fast. Yeah. Not for the people listening, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do, we, how do we publicly lament well? A couple of thoughts. Um, uh, no conditions and no qualifications. Matthew Vines, Andy showed me this article. Matthew Vines is a, um, uh, a Jesus follower who... Um, is an advocate uh, and an affirming advocate for the LGBTQ community, and uh, he uh, he wrote this he wrote this article to the Christian community. He said, "Please avoid qualifying your lament in any way. To insist on saying that you disagree with same sex same sex marriage as part of your statement about murdered LGBT people is dehumanizing. It communicates that even in our deaths." We are still an issue to be debated rather than people of inviolable dignity and worth. This is not an acceptable time to mention your opposition to marriage equality. And and I thought, you know what? That's that was really and and and, and I think a bunch of people were saying very similar things. It's like if any and if any other community of people were were massacred, we wouldn't have to preface it with, "Well, I don't agree." Yeah. And um and so I thought that was a very insightful sort of lesson for public lament that it's unqualified it's unconditional it's it's um th- there's there's no there's no but there's just i don't know i'm so sorry here here from our lit- liturgies here here words that the people of god have been sp- speaking about evil for 2000 years 3000 years yeah and and there's nothing else there so no qualifications no conditions, 
um, no hijacking. Now I was guilty of this, so I have to I have to speak on hijacking because hijacking is you take an event like this to make another point that hasn't to, to do with the lamenting or the acknowledgement of the grief. And and maybe you know after dust has settled that there's a time for the dialogue we all want to have. But what I did, so Sunday I was just I was bummed and 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 fearful about what does what does this do between the Christian community and the LGBTQ community? Because I'm reading some of the comments from LGBTQ people and they're they're just spewing incredible stuff towards the Christian community. And and part of me is going, man, it, you know, come on, guys, this this guy clearly, <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I agree that we have caused much harm in the gay community. There's no question about that. And and the rule number one is permission, right? But I'm rest, I'm just wrestling with what's this mean and where does this go and how do we protect, uh, how do we how to create safe spaces for for that community, and what's that look like? And so I'm just wrestling through all of this stuff and and and. Several days before, a group called the Gospel Coalition, it's a group, um, an organization centered around the teachings of Reformed theology, um, tweeted out a, a panel discussion with the headline um, that, that God just doesn't permit suffering, he ordains it, and that's good news. And then there was a link to a, a video of some guys that I have a great deal of respect for talking about this point. And I had a fit when I read it. I just think, and we're and this is the next podcast or two is mm-hmm. is this topic. Mm-hmm. And you're referring to a couple of weeks ago, right? When you first when yes. they first published that article. Yeah, so. I don't know. If it was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a week ago. Yeah, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Andy, Time, time's flying. Who knows? I think, I think it's. I think so. Okay, so let's say it was a couple of weeks ago because Andy's usually right. And he's big. He has big brown eyes. Mm. And um, and so I saw this and and I I reacted. Mm. Uh, at the moment it was tweeted, I reacted strongly to it and just said, this is, this is a load of, of baloney. Um, and thought, okay, this is going to be a great series of podcasts. But what I did on Sunday, the Sunday that the Orlando shootings happened is, um, I tweeted them and said, is this still true today? Cause I went on their website and they were full of, oh, let's pray and let's grieve and let's whatever. And I was so pissed. I was like, no, no, no. If you can tweet out so blithely that suffering is God ordained on a day when nothing horrific is happening, then you better have the balls to tweet it out on a day like today when it is horrific. Right. And if you don't, you're freaking hypocrite. And because if it's really good news, then you need to say that God ordained this guy to shoot those people. And if you don't, ah, you're just a coward. Now, again, I'm not saying that's right, although I think it is. Um, I'm saying I hijacked a, a a grieving moment to shoot at somebody else. Yeah. And so I'm not acknowledging who that real enemy is. I'm not, I, I wasn't modeling in any way, shape, or form kind of what I think needed to happen in those moments. And so I'm like, oh, man, I totally blew it. And somebody very graciously uh, more graciously than I, I was acting, just said, "Hey, you may want to wait a couple of days on that," mm-hmm. and then and then linked an article that was written by a guy named Russell Moore, who just said, "Hey, we need to weep together," and that that was really the genesis of this whole conversation. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I really blew that. So so the hijacking is when we see something else 
that we don't like. And um, then we use this, we move from grief to fear, anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did that, man, I did that within 12 hours. And so lame. And so that's not that I don't know that that's a Jesus honoring thing even remotely, nor, nor is it, uh, does it help anything? It just adds to the noise, it adds to the division, it adds uh, to the conflict. And so I, I thought, wow, that was a good lesson for me mm-hmm. to see that in my own heart, to go, okay, all right, yeah, I, I do think, I think what I think about this, but man, that is not the forum and not the time. And so, so part of, you know, it, even as we talked last week about the culture of outrage, now, now we're talking about the, the culture of grief and way, and, and there's, I mean, social media, <clears throat> pardon me, has so much power to create perception, mm. a positive, negative, part of what make, part of what making Jesus beautiful has to mean is that we respond so graciously so genuinely, so compassionately to stand with, to acknowledge the grief, to acknowledge our participation in the sense of unsafety that maybe they felt for years, to acknowledge all of this without reservation, without qualification, and to sit Shiva um, with the, the LGBTQ community and all those affected by this, and to just sit. And, and to say, uh, you know, we don't know, um, but we're with you, we're for you. Now, now I've, I've also been picking up on um, some responses from Christians to Christians that are, listen, your compassion here doesn't matter because you haven't honored these people. Um, and, 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 and I'm, you know, I, I'm like, well, yes and no. I, I mean, I, I, I get that and I get certainly how people from that community could feel like, oh, so it takes us getting murdered, you know, for you to care. Right. And, and certainly the church and me, we need to repent of how little love, genuine love we have shown the LGBTQ community. So that I think that point stands at all times forever. But that sort of response doesn't permit the Christian community to grow and to move um, because it's if 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 we're not allowed to be to progress publicly in some of this stuff well then you've just shut it all down and you've just entrenched us even more and so i was i was kind of like yeah that's that's not the right answer either i mean i get the impulse and i, I believe that's true because i i've certainly changed over the last 10 years um around this conversation and and around taking jesus seriously when it comes to love love neighbor love enemy love those like you love those unlike you, whatever. But um, to to say that that the our, the compassion that is genuine for some of us has no place because we haven't been compassionate before, it's true and it's false, but it's not helpful um, because it doesn't allow us to grow. For some, this may be the wake up call um, that 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 says, "Hey, this really is a marginalized community, and we've added to the mess here, and we have not shown Jesus love." Well, I wouldn't want to rob somebody from that, you know, by making them defensive right. uh, in that moment. Right. And so it's well, just... Chick-fil-A was out there. And that was the last thing <laughs> yeah. I heard. Yes. The Chick-fil-A is well, the I mean, hero. Like, even that is like, that becomes a defensive response to saying like, you're not doing anything. Well, well hey, Chick-fil-A was out there. Right. You know, that's a Christian company. I mean, all of a sudden we, we hijack ourselves with that as to, as to totally. claim that, totally. well, that's my camp that's out there doing right. Right. I know. Oh, it's just, uh. You know, it'd be it'd be uh, 
I don't know. It would just be interesting if there were some universally agreed upon social media practices that that govern the Christian community, you know, yeah. in order to, I mean, and, and I violated them, of course, but that we all kind of said, all right, in order to make Jesus beautiful, um, we were changing the how we, how we are online. And so mm. here's what we're going to do. Andy and I, we, just to lament, to, to, to acknowledge that our world has changed, um, Andy's going to show me how to change my profile picture to just a black, mm-hmm. just a black space. Yeah. And, um, and so I invite you to do that. And again, it's so tiny and it, it's so nothing uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, I, we wanted to practice this idea from this little village that no, the, our world's changed because your world has changed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know there are all sorts of symbols that you can use and, and the rainbow hearts and, and, you know, more love, less hate and all, all the things that are floating around out there. And certainly, but, but there was a sense that, um, we wanted to just acknowledge grief without being misinterpreted in any direction. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna fade to black as Metallica would say. <laughs> and, um, and we're just gonna do that as a way to, um, sit Shiva, um, with some of our, our brothers and sisters at our community at Vox community. Uh, you're going to hear this after we do it, but we're just gonna be wearing, um, black little armbands. What are they? Wristbands. Yeah, wristbands. Um, just as a way for us to learn how to do this better. This isn't this isn't designed to bless anybody. Um, you know, there's no great movement of black, uh, you know, Twitter Twitter profile pics or Facebook profile pics. But um, for me, it's learning. I'm practicing right now, becoming better at public lament. And um, and so, if you wanna wanna practice with us, man, you're more. You're uh, you're you're more uh, than welcome to join us in uh, in blacking out, and just kind of removing the individual kind of narcissistic identity that that we all cultivate online to more of a yeah well I don't matter right now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> kind of thing so yeah so anyway that's us being losers and trying to grow in this and realizing that you know anything anything any step towards health can be criticized, you know, from any number of directions. And so even as I'm saying all this, I'm feeling dorky, like, well, that isn't enough, but it's something. And, uh, and I've never done it before. I've never, you know, I've never changed. I, first of all, I don't have that many good pictures of me uh, with my shirt on. And, um, and secondly, cause all your, all your good photos are with your shirt off. Well, that's what I'm saying. Of yeah. course, dude, come on. As you well see right now. Right. Um, so anyway, anyway, we're just going to give this a shot, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so we'd love your, love your thoughts on these thoughts. We, we don't, we don't feel like, um, we don't feel like we're entitled to share about all these things. We don't feel like, you know, the world needs to hear what, what we think, um, before it can move on. So often what we're doing is we're just reacting kind of along with everybody else and trying to do it in a Jesus sort of centered way as we're being called out ourselves. And so to that end, we hope it's helpful. Um, we always feel like, I always feel like, Andy Andy never feels this way because he doesn't talk much, which is on purpose uh, because Andy Andy's evil um, <laughs> and unkind. Uh, but I always feel like, you know, man, there's so many things I wish I could have said better or would have said more carefully, but the podcast form 
is not a form that requires precision. It's more of a blunt instrument mm-hmm. um, for dialogue out loud, out louding, yeah. um, out louding, dialogue out loud. Ing. It's an outward process of an honest heart. Mm. It's gonna, that's my first romance novel right there. <laughs> I've just got the title. An outward romance of an honest heart. The Mike and Andy story. <laughs> he has big brown eyes and he tried to take over my podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny. When people meet Andy, now they, they, they offer condolence. They offer sorrow. They offer, you know, messages of support. Yep. I say heck with you guys. I'm raising up sympathizers. I know. And that's how it starts. That's how the coup starts. That's how it starts. Dang it. What did I say? The catalyst of fulfillment of vision. Oh, and you also said it's something of, of heart. Yes, I did. expression of an honest heart. I just did. So, um, so all that is to say, we hope, so, you know, our prayer is always that something will be helpful in, in your journey. And um, we're so grateful to be in conversation with folks that are part of the LGBTQ community, part of the atheist community, part of the agnostic community, part of the Christian community, part of the conservative Christian community, part of the progressive Christian community, uh, Democrat, Republican, Independent. I mean, it's just a it's just a thrill for us to do this. So thank you. And um, as always, Subversive Kingdom, Twitter, Facebook are places that you know you can find us misbehaving, um, or, or at least <laughs> me when I'm tweeting. Uh, but um, uh, that's all I got. I think that's all I had. One other thought, but it, it escaped. First sign of old age right there. <laughs> so um, let's do our blessing, Andy. All right. All right. Um, I want to, someday I'm going to sing this, hmm. but not today. Okay. Um, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, we are so grateful to be a part of your life. And um, our prayer for you is simply this. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and in these days, more than any other days, may he give us peace. So until next time, my brothers and my sisters, we're grateful. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.